We're going to be starting today into a new sermon series through the book of Matthew. Um, I'm very, very excited about it, and, uh, and hopefully you'll see why throughout the course of even today. I'm going to pray first, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, God, you will just enlarge our hearts with hope today. Hope not that we fill in the blank uh, for, but but hope um, in what you desire for us. God, I think we live by our own desires so much. And, and then when we come to the scriptures and you're presenting your story and your hope for us, and our hope doesn't match up with what you hope, God, there's a confusion that oftentimes ensues from that. And I pray, God, that we, we will just be silent in our hearts and minds. We can hear from you today. Be transformed by that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of things that can be said about Jesus, but I think what we're going to be talking about the next eight weeks in the book of Matthew is possibly the most important thing that can be said about him, and, and maybe one of the things we don't attribute to him the most often because we don't really understand what it is and what it means, and that is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That Jesus is the promised Messiah. And, and that, along with other Christian words like hallelujah, you probably listen and you're like, Messiah, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully from today, you'll grasp the meaning of Messiah, and then through the next weeks, you'll get to hear uh, Matthew's case that Jesus actually is the Messiah. So Messiah means anointed one, and I'm going to explain what that even means. But what I want you to get from the start is that, that God, what God hopes for you and what God wants for you is only made possible by the Messiah. And, and the, the question is, is Jesus the one that we are meant to receive is, is what God hopes for for us. Because if he's not, Jesus isn't worth believing in. Right? You guys should say amen to that. <laughs> right? Because, because so oftentimes in, in churches, especially people are like, well, you're just trying to sell me something. But, but here, I hope in the next weeks and even today, we're going to be really honest today. They're going, like, when we, when we look at the case for if Jesus is really the promised one, if he's not, he's not worth believing in, right? It's not worth gathering together and singing awesome songs like we've been singing if Jesus really isn't the one. Amen? And so, and so we're going to be looking at the next weeks, and we're looking today, um, is, is Jesus the one? And, and I want to follow that up with uh, like us just being like really clear about the importance of it because we live in a culture and we live in a society where, where so much is optional, Right? Even truth is so optional. Like, 
um, you know, it's okay for you, but it's not okay for me, and, you know, you know, whole explanation. But for the Christian, we should be saying, no, it's not just truth for me, it's truth for everybody, right? I'm not going to, like, stake my life upon this. If I can't give this to you and go, no, this is a real thing, like, if you believe this, your whole life will just, right, be changed, right? If it's not going to change me, I'm not going to believe it. And so, is Jesus the one worth believing in? Um, the book of Matthew was written specifically with a Jewish audience in mind, and we have to come into understanding that. Uh, the Christian story is not a story that began with Jesus. It's a story that began with the creation of the world. Right? And we just got through the first 11 chapters of Genesis in our last series, and and that helps us identify that, that the God who created the universe had an, an, an intention and a plan for the universe, right? For people. And we looked at, he made, he made human beings, he made you and me, in his own image. And so when we're like all weird and creative and like do spasmatic things and, and we love really outrageously and then we get super upset and, and we act in these ways. And, you know, Mark Twain would say, you know, humans are the only animal that blushes. Well, the reason why, right, the reason why is because we're different than everything else, right? And, and so as we look at that in the Bible, and it begins explaining why we're so unique as human beings, it then explains why we're so broken also as human beings, all right, so it explains the, the universal setting, and then it explains the universal issue, which is that, that our relationship with God is screwed up, <laughs> because we decided to, to want to trust ourselves more than we trust him. And then, and then when you come to the promise of Messiah, which, like my dad said earlier, happens immediately in Genesis 3.15, it says that, that there's a promised one that would come that's going to beat up on Satan, right, crush him. Right? And we all say, amen, crush Satan, do it, right? We want that, right? Because as long as Satan isn't crushed, right, we're crushed under the weight of sin, right? We are freely his slaves, right? That's what happened when we said, no, I want to be my own God. Well, we can't be our own gods. We're not in that place. And so all we're going to do is believe a lie. And when we believe a lie, we put ourselves under Satan's power because he is the king of deception, it says in the Bible, Right? And so what we're looking for is one who will save us from that deception. And so there's this promise of Messiah throughout the whole Old Testament, right? The whole Old Testament that, that one day the anointed one, the Messiah, would come and would save the people. And so the, one of the coolest proclamations is when in John, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? That's a moment where everything just stops and they go, that's the one. But, but the case Matthew makes in the book of Matthew is this. That when, when John the Baptist said, there's the one, no one really believed him. Right? And so Matthew has to make this case for a man who was rejected by the Jews, right? That all of the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament point to the Messiah, and yet when, when the one that we say is the one came, they didn't see it. 
But he's not just this new, you know, there's so many new religions that happen. They, they come up out of nowhere like, like a um, Jehovah's Witness or, or Mormons or, you know, they create something new. But, but Christians, we're not creating anything new. We're going, see the Old Testament, the sto- story continues. The story seamlessly continues. There isn't this abrupt stop and then everything changes, right? It's that, it's that the fulfillment all comes uh, in Jesus, but... The Jews didn't see that, um, and I, I want to share with you um, a couple of thoughts. I, I read a lot this week on the Jewish perspective, and I'm actually meeting this Wednesday, um, if you guys want to follow up with me about that, with a, a Messianic Jew for coffee. We're going to just talk, because Messianic Jews are people, Jews who have uh, still practice a lot of the, the Jewish tradition, but they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and so the Jewish tradition, what that looks like is this, there's, there's a commentary to the, to the Mishra Sanhedrin, and, and I want you guys, as you listen to this, to think of uh, this, this long longing for a Messiah that they have. Um, in this commentary, it says, I believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah, and even though he may delay, nevertheless, I anticipate every day that he will come. That's, that's the culture of the Jewish people. From before, like, we as Gentiles are people that, we don't have, we don't have really a, um, a collective vision or a collective hope, right? We're kind of all over the place. But the Jewish people had this amazing collective hope, right, in the Messiah that would come. Um, the belief in the coming of the Messiah, they said, is deeply embedded in the conscience of the Jewish people. Um, in a book by Irvin Howe, he describes, listen to this, the, the earlier generations of Jewish socialists who were secular, it says, although their ideology was secular, their yearning, hope, and struggle for a better world was rooted in the ancient Jewish belief that the Messiah eventually would come and inaugurate a new age of justice and peace. There's an old poem that says this, an old Jewish poem, being a Jew means running forever to God even if you are his betrayer. It means expecting to hear any day, even if you are a naysayer, the blare of the Messiah's horn. Right, so to be a Jew, <laughs> even if you're a Jew that, that betrays your Jewish heritage, it's one that, that lives with an expectation that if you hear the coming of the Messiah, you're going to go, okay, he's here. Right? And this is amazing. This is this collective vision of the people. And yet, yet with this this long period of time when the Messiah didn't come, there grew a skepticism among the Jewish people. In the first century, there was a rabbi. The first century, so this is while the Gospels are being written, right? There was a rabbi who famously said this, and, and most sites that Jewish people have on the internet uh, talking about the Messiah quote this rabbi and says, if you, have, if you should happen to be holding a sapling in your hand, when they tell you the Messiah has arrived, first plant the sapling and then go greet the Messiah. Right? Because so there's a real skepticism among them. So if you hear, oh, the Messiah has come, they'd heard that before so many times. So if you hear, oh, here he comes, and you have a sapling, a small tree in your hand, you just go plant that first because it probably isn't the case. There's another story. Uh, uh, a story tells of a, Jew, a Russian Jew said he was paid a, a ruble a month to, to, by the community council to stand at the outskirts of town so he could be the first person to greet the Messiah when he comes. 
And when a friend said to him, the pay is so low, the man replied, true, but the job is permanent. So there's this incredible skepticism that the Messiah would come. And, And yet there's this continual running after God by the Jewish people, which is incredible. And, and for, so what I want us to get as we, as we process this and appreciate it is this, that I want us to be a people that share in that running after God, that share in that running after God, so we gain that collective hope. Because unless we share a collective hope as a church, when the fulfillment comes, it will be of no pleasure to us. It will be of no joy to us. It will be something... And, and honestly, to us, the idea of Jesus being God is such a common one that we, we treat it as if it's not special, like my dad was sharing earlier. We treat it as if it's not special. I was, I, a young man stayed with my roommates this last week, didn't have a place to stay, and so he stayed with us the night. And I'm, I'm surprised like, by the conversation I had with him and the conversation I had with so many people that they just they expect the commonness of God, right? They're like, well... <laughs> and they're, they're, he was like sharing his doubts about God with me. And I said, well, well do you, what do you expect from God? And he was like, well, I want him just to be here and like say hi to me, right? And it's amazing, right? The commonness with which we share this expectation of what God should and shouldn't do. But it wasn't like that. When the Messiah came, it was supposed to be this huge thing, right? What God does is, is something that's so special. And so why is it, and I wrestled with this prayer for this sermon, why is it that it, it lacks that flair for us to a certain extent? So, so I pray that today as we look at this, we'll begin to share this. If, if Jesus is the one and this is what it means, guys, it's, it's something worth just celebrating and it's worth running after with everything we have. Amen. So, Matthew is one of the four Gospels. Um, The four Gospels are each telling the story of Jesus. They share a lot of content, but they also have different content. Um, The reason for that is they were written for different audiences. Um, Just to give you a quick overview, Matthew, as we're looking at, is, is is a book written for the Jewish people to show them that Jesus was Messiah. Um, the, the Gospel of Mark was written um, showing that Jesus was a servant, and that was written to the Romans in particular. You have Luke, which uh, shows that Jesus was not just God, but Jesus was human. Um, and that was written to the Greek people, right? And as you hear each of these, you can, maybe if you know anything of the culture, the Roman culture, or the Greek culture, you might see why. Those were their emphasis. John um, was shared with just the world at large, just showing Jesus' general divinity, that Jesus was God. Um, I've heard it compared to this, which might help some of you TV-minded people, that it's kind of like ABC, CBC, CBS, and NBC, like more localized channels, right? And then you have CNN, which is kind of like national world news, right? So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or sorry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, which is all kind of these localized. They're written to the Roman people. They're written to the Jewish people. They're the Greek people. And then John's this, this real broad world scale, right, as you read it. Um, Matthew being written to the Jewish people, I, I, want, I want to 
show you the difference that this would be versus writing to a Gentile people. If you were to a Gentile people, what you would look at is a question like you guys are probably hungry for, right? Because most of us are probably Gentiles, right? Which is, who is God, right? What's his character, right? Is there even a God, right? If you're a Gentile person who, who's maybe grown up with atheism or uh, grown up with all these little gods that you know aren't really gods at all, you might be asking those questions, right? And so if you read a, uh, um, Luke or if you read John, it, it, it's going to answer some of those broader ones that we're looking at. Um, why should I give up my independence and become dependent upon God, Right? So if you look at Matthew, the thrust is different because the thrust is this. Did Jesus fulfill the role of Messiah, right, is the question. So if we ask that to, right, if I ask that to you guys, right, because you probably don't have a, a your own tradition probably isn't steeped in that, that Jewish tradition, you'd be going, I don't know, I'd rather know who God is, right? But that was already established for the Jewish people. Does that make sense? So the Jewish people didn't need to have the answer given for what's the character of God right? Because they knew it, right? They didn't need to have answered to them, is there a God? Because they were already in. They'd bought that, right? They were like, we, we know he is. We just want the Messiah. So did Jesus fulfill one of the 300 plus references to a Messiah in the Old Testament? That's what they wanted to know. Um, they wanted to know, like we said earlier, is this story seamless, right? Does this continue on or is this something new? Because we don't want anything new. We want something from our tradition to be fulfilled, they want the specific promises to be fulfilled in the Messiah. Um, so how do we gain from this? Um, how do we as Gentiles, who don't know a lot about the Messiah, receive from this? And, and the first thing, I'll give you an example. Does anyone love old Western films? Okay, I'm a fan. Um, right, so your classic Western film, right, has the character, the hero usually, who comes into town and no one knows where he's from, right? Are we all on the same page? <laughs> right, so he comes into town, no one knows where he's going or where he is from. And, and oftentimes, us as, as people who don't have a Jewish heritage and don't appreciate the story of the Messiah that would come, we treat our heroes like this. We treat Jesus like this, Right? Well, we don't know where he comes from, but he's sure going to fix the problem in town, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay, but Jesus isn't like that. He's not that figure who just shows up and solves the problem, whatever the problem is, right? But he's more, the story is bigger than that. And we won't appreciate Messiah unless we see the story is that big. Does that make sense? So it's not that Jesus shows up out of nowhere to this world that's just sitting here with problems, Right? like the classic Western film, and he just swings his guns around and fixes the problem. Jesus is coming to a world that has a story. But the surprising thing is, and the testimony of the scripture, is that he was a part of the story. He was creating, he was writing it from before you and I or any other human being or animal or planet even existed, Right? And so, so how we can benefit from this is that you and I can gain an appreciation for that bigger story and how then Jesus comes in. In Isaiah, uh, there's the, the famous, we read this every Christmas time, right? Of the child that would come and be born who would be 
Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, right? And that's part of this story, right? This waiting, this anticipation that we have. But we need to know and we need to appreciate that behind this story, it is, it is a Jewish story, right? And how does that help us? How does that help us? Well, it helps us in this. If you, if you want to turn with me really quick to Romans 9, um, Romans 9 is this beautiful chapter in the Bible that people like debating about. But as Paul swings into Romans 9, the question is, is where the Jews stand now that Jesus is here? And, and he kind of, he wants to answer that before, before he gets into discussing, well, well, is the gospel still for the Jews? And absolutely the gospel is still for the Jews. And this is what he writes to explain it. Starting in verse 4, he says, um, after the period, he says, theirs, the children of Israel, is the adoption as sons, theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Right? So what he's saying is, is what, what's so special about being Jewish, right? This is what's so special, right? Is everything that kept the promise intact, the covenants, the law, right? Everything that, that the temple and the priests and all that, everything that that, res, uh, that, that um, was meant to point to was kept by the Jewish people. And that's super special, right? In Romans 1, he writes that, Paul writes this, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone, every single person who believes, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And why does he write it like that? First for the Jews and then for the Gentiles? He writes it like that because, because it was this, this Jewish thing that, that they kept going, right? That they were meant to protect and hold on to and keep. And that is so special. And so we as people shouldn't pretend like the story began when Jesus showed up. We should be able to see and look back and go, man, look at, look at the temple worship. What did that mean? Right? Get into that. Get excited about that. Amen. It's literally, and the only way I could, could kind of like, it's kind of a silly way to say it, but I said it's the cradle of of monotheism, as, as far as it's, it's, it's the one that, that where, where God held his future promise, right? The future promise that, that there was one God, and that God was the creator of everything, and he would save everything. And that was held in the Jewish hope, right? And that's, that's cool. <laughs> that is so special. Um, so as we get into Matthew 5, the question is going to be, um, who is Jesus? And is Jesus the one? Um, and we're going to see three different perspectives here. Yeah, 16. Matthew 16. Did I say something else? Oh, Matthew I just like Matthew 5. Matthew 16 is where we're going to be. Um, and we're going to look at three, three different uh, relationships, I'll say, to, to the Messiah. 
Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the key of the kingdom of heaven, and wherever you bond on earth will be bound in heaven, and wherever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ. So setting. I'm sharing this with you because I got really excited when I found out a little more about Caesarea of Philippi. So Caesarea of Philippi was, was this mountainous region, if you headed up from Galilee, where Jesus would apparently take his disciples on sort of retreats together. Have you guys ever been on like a men's retreat or a women's retreat? Um, he would take them on retreats together. And so they have, they have kind of like alone time, right? And he'd be able to teach them and they'd be able to rest together. And so it's on one of these occasions um, where he's, he's asking them this question, um, this beautiful mountainous region. Uh, I, would write, I would read to you in one of the commentaries I read this, the description. It, it talks about like fig trees and bubbling brooks. I mean, it just sounds like a really beautiful place. <laughs> right? So there's very... Uh, meadow-like environment, right? And, and they're out there resting for a couple of days. And, and one commentary actually said that Jesus might have spent up to six months of his three-year time with, with the disciples up in Caesarea Philippi, just teaching them up there. Um, and so it's in one of these times that they're up there. And, and he puts this question to the disciples as a whole. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And and some translations read, who do people say I, the Son of Man, am? But, but literally it's just who do people say generally the Son of Man is. What he's asking is, comes from the, uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. And in Daniel 7, uh, there's these two verses, 13 and 14, it says, Daniel says, in my vision I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So that's the Son of Man, right? This one whose, whose dominion will never end, one who has authority and power over all things. So who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that that will be when he comes? And their, their answer wasn't Jesus, right? which is interesting. <laughs> what are people saying? Well, people are still saying pretty generically, well, maybe it was John the Baptist. Right? Maybe he was the one, maybe it was Elijah, maybe it was Jeremiah. But the question is, with this indecision, who will be the one who finally knows and finally decides? And the truth is that, that even with this, the specific nature of the prophecies, is that there still wasn't an understanding of what he would look like or be, right? And so when he came, what would he be? Well, he might be like an Elijah, or he might be like a Jeremiah, right? Or maybe a John the Baptist, who would he be? And, and I, think, I think the nature of that was because of this. And this is, if, 
If you grab a hold of one thing today, grab a hold of this. I think it's because the Jewish people, and we share so much with them in this regard, is that they were looking forward to someone who would fulfill their expectations and their hopes. When the Messiah who would come would fulfill the expectations and hopes of God. Right? So who would it be? Who are, who are they saying the Son of Man will be? And they're like, well, we have these heroes. <laughs> right? we, have, we have our Elijahs. We have our John the Baptist. We have our Jeremiahs. And there are some strong figures. Maybe they'll be like that. Right? Fulfilling our hopes and our expectations. But Jesus, well, let me say, the true Messiah won't fulfill your expectations. The true Messiah will fulfill the expectations of God. And you have to get this as we move forward. Because when we ask at the end, and I'll be asking it, who's Jesus to you? When Jesus puts the question, when he puts to Peter next, who do you say I am? And the question's put to you, who do you say he is? The, the question of whether you come to worship and believe the Messiah isn't a question of if he fulfills your needs and your expectations, but if he fulfills the expectations of God. Because you will constantly have your own expectations for a Messiah, right? It could be, well, if I don't get this job, then he's not my Messiah, right? I have this issue in my family, and if he doesn't step in here, he's not the Messiah, right? And so we, we localize it. We make it so individualized. There'd be no Messiah that would meet the whole needs of every single person in their own expression, right? Because God is never going to be a mirror of our expression, right? a mirror of what we want, right? But he's wanting to transform us into what he is like. And so, so he's going to send a Messiah who can do that, who represents him and his expectations and his hopes. And he's going to call us to hope in that. And he's going to raise us up to, to hope in that, which is way better than our own expectations. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, without dwelling upon what their hopes and expectations are, he moves to the, the next meaning of Messiah, the, the revealed meaning of the Messiah. And, and he asked him, what, what about you? Who do you say I am? And, and Peter is this, kind of this bold guy. You get this picture of him being kind of this, this bigger fisherman, right? Who, who just kind of like speaks and then thinks, which I think, <laughs> you know, if you're not that guy, you know that guy. And... Uh, <laughs> And so Jesus makes it personal, right? Who do you, who do you say I am? And, and there, I, I want to emphasize, they're in this setting where it's not like, there's not a big crowd. They're not trying to impress anyone, right? It's just like him and his disciples. And he says, okay, guys, what do you, what do you say? It's time for you to share your mind. Um, and Peter steps up first. And it's interesting that he would ask the disciples even because they're, these, these are probably uneducated men, Right? Um, fishermen who aren't scholars, probably raised with that hope of the Messiah. 
But given the experience and the teaching they've had from Jesus, they're asked this question. And so, so Peter, seemingly somewhat beside himself, says, well, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus gets really excited about this. And, and he goes, yes, but you don't know what you're talking about. Right? It's crazy, right? Because Peter just like comes out with this and, and, and Jesus' response to them is, blessed are you. And this is the same word in, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, where it's like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Right? And that word blessed literally means happy. And he goes, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by men, but by God. Right? He's like, no one told you this. And he's like, and you didn't come up with this, but, but I'm telling you right now, and he goes, I'm so excited because of this. He goes, that there is a testimony right now that you're proclaiming that someday you will get, but you don't get it yet. Right? And so, so God is at work in Peter. Peter doesn't get the work that's going on yet, but, but God is speaking through Peter. And so there's the, the first meaning of Messiah that we got, which is the popular meaning of the Messiah. What's popular? And we have a lot of those right now. And the second meaning of the Messiah is the revealed meaning of the Messiah, right? There's a revelation to who the Messiah will be. It will be the Christ, right? The son of the living God. And Peter says that sort of beside himself. And there can be a lot of us who say those things but don't really get them yet, right? Like Peter. And the, the but what we really need is a relationship with the Messiah, right? Not just the popular Messiah, or, or not necessarily just the revealed meaning of Messiah, but a relationship with the Messiah. And let me explain this to you. Because what, what Peter said, and what God was working on in his heart, can easily be made up. And, and what I mean by this is, is you read a lot, of, you hear sermons, or you read a lot of commentaries on Messiah, and this is what they will say. I'm actually going to read out of one of them. It says, any reasonable person who examines the Old Testament prophecies in an objective manner must conclude that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's very straightforward, right? If you're a reasonable person, right, you will think that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And oftentimes we can approach it like that. Well, if you're reasonable, but but God's not just asking you to look through the facts, right? Because there are the facts, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those, and we'll look through those. But what we're looking, what Jesus is excited about is this testimony, right? This relationship that they have with him that is being cultivated. And this is how it looks, right? When, when Jesus himself will raise from the dead and give his church power to walk in the faith of the Messiah. And this is what it's going to look like. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter. And he's just going now, right? Jesus is getting excited. They're on the campfire and he's just speaking to them. And he says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So when you're in a relationship with the Messiah, this is the power that comes with it. And let me explain this further. So Jesus is aside because there's this evidence that God is finally drawing people to himself. And, and there's, there's this question that's going on. What does that mean? What does that really look like? And there's three ways that people think oftentimes that this is what it means when it talks about rock and, and Jesus forming his church. And, 
And the three ways usually are that maybe, maybe Jesus is talking about Peter being the champion of the church, right? Or maybe Jesus is merely talking about himself again, or maybe it's the proclamation of faith. And I'm just going to, I think it's all of those, and I'll explain why. Peter, right, the one who said so boldly, you are the Christ, the Son of living God. Peter was, uh, was a rock. He, Jesus gave him that name, but he was a rock that was going to be shaped into someone who could be a rock for the church. Um, you don't even have to turn to the next chapter to see how Peter's being shaped. Um, in, in verse 23, um, if you just look right down, it says Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, right? You are a stumbling block to me, right? So, so Peter isn't ready to be a rock for the church, right? So people are just like, like Peter, you're the guy, you get it, you get the Jesus is Messiah, so you're gonna be the champion. Peter's one who's being shaped also, right? He's in relationship with the Messiah and he's being shaped by that. In Galatians 2, in one of the books Paul wrote later on, Paul shares of this experience he had with Peter and, and where he confronts Peter and literally says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Right, so when Jesus is talking here about on this rock I will build my church, he's not merely talking about Peter being the one who could be a stable foundation for his church. But Peter indeed would be the bold voice for the church of God that being shaped, God would use to build his church. And what is so cool about this, guys, is that when the Messiah, when the Messiah is, is believed upon by faith and you, you go forth like Peter proclaiming that, that we are stones, we are building blocks in that kingdom, in that church. So Jesus himself, how does Jesus fit into this? Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to show you really quick how Jesus fits into this. Jesus is the one who makes this all happen. That's how Jesus is the Messiah, right? We understand Jesus is the Messiah because he has the authority and he carries the authority of God to establish his church for his people. Reading this, it says, I tell you, Peter. Later on, it says, I will build my church. Later it says, and I will give you the keys. So Jesus is the one who, by his authority, the church is being established. So when Jesus says, I tell you, he says, Peter, I am the one who has the authority to proclaim to you that I, the Messiah, have come. When he says, I will build, it says Jesus, not merely Peter, is one who has the authority to establish his church. And when he says, I will give you, literally he is saying, I'm the one who will defeat the powers of Satan, hell, and the devil. And I'll be the one who's able to give that power to the church to enjoy. So Jesus is both the builder and the giver of all good things to his people, the church. And that's when we say, who's the Messiah? Who's the one who can do all these things? Well, it's, it's Jesus, right? Jesus alone can tell. Jesus alone can reveal to us that he is the one who is the Messiah. Jesus alone can, can build up a church and a people who can say, Jesus is Lord, right? And Jesus is the only one who that church who proclaims by faith, Jesus is God, 
he is the one alone who is giving to that church the power to live by. Right? So it's not your, it's not your own power. It's not your own uh, amount of belief. So really quick, let me explain this. You guys are getting this like look like this. So let me explain this. So you have a promise of a Messiah that would come and a people that would be shaped and formed around the belief in that Messiah. They would be released from the destructive power of sin and become a kingdom set apart to God. Okay? And Jesus is saying here, he goes, I am telling you this. I am building you up into this, and I am giving you the power and ability to live in this. And so not only does Jesus meet all the expectations of God and the Messiah, but he meets, ultimately, as we're shaped, our greatest hopes and longings. Okay, and he's shaping us into that. So, so what we meet, you sometimes meet these people, especially those who are recently saved, that, that have this sort of, I have, I have no other way to describe this. So they're sort of like Twitter-pated, have like a man crush. They're like really excited about Jesus, right? And they talk about him so much. And you're like, wow, they talk about Jesus a lot, right? And maybe if you haven't been, maybe if you haven't seen who the Messiah is, you're going like, like wow, I wish they would just shut up. But, but these are people who have come to see that Jesus not only is the fulfillment of it, but he's the enabler of everything they hope and long for in him, right? So, so like when Peter is being called to be a, a rock for the church, right? The hope for Peter isn't that he would wake up one day and be like, I am that cool. <laughs> the hope for Peter is that this Jesus is going, don't worry, Peter, because I'm the one telling you what to say. I'm the one building you up into the Peter you're meant to be. And I'm the one giving you all the power to be the Peter you need to be. Right? And the same, it's the same word for the church. Amen. Thank you, Rocky. So it's the same word for the church. And so you hear this and you see, you see the pain and the suffering and the, the, the ravished nature of the world because of sin. And you go, how do we stand against that? How do we respond to the truth? And, and this is how we do it right here, is, is we heed the words of what Jesus is telling us, speaking as Messiah and what he's telling us, and, and hear him going, guys, I'm not just, I'm not just here to save and then leave, but he goes, I'm going to be building you into a people that, that hell will not and cannot overcome because I've, I've won for you a victory and you're going to be a special people and what I'm going to give you as a special people is the power to, what it says here, it says, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You are going to be an extraordinary people if you get this that I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, and all your hope, all your longings is staked on me, and you let me explain to you what your expectations should be. And we're being shaped by that. And so as, as, as those who come to him and, and share in Peter's proclamation, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, we are that church and, and we are that people who share in all these great promises. 
so when I ask you, as we close up here, to hear Jesus asking you this question, but who do you say I am? And if you're one, one who has said, well, you are the Christ, I hope this is what it means for you. Because if it, this isn't what it means for you, you don't really understand the power yet behind it. What it means is that the God who created the world is drawing the world back into a relationship with himself through Jesus. But it's, it's not a simple short story. It's one that has incredible anticipation, right? And your heart's meant to feel that anticipation, that excitement of, I know why it's broken and I know how it can be healed. <laughs> and then when we see that promised hope, we're not to be a people that think by that, that faith, when we say faith, that means our own strength. We're meant to be people that when we hear the word faith and belief in that Messiah, we're meant to be people that, that simply say it's because I've heard the word spoken by him and I'm participating in a church that's being built up by him and we've been giving power by him to live in this world, right? You are a special people, right, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and said he's the one. Not just for you, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. Um, and if you guys stake your hope on that and stake your, stake your faith in that, guys, it will be extraordinary. Because it's not just the fulfillment of your momentary expectation, right? It's, your biggest dream doesn't have to be, well, I hope that this little problem in my life gets fixed. But that your biggest dream can be the whole world brought back to healing relationship with with God himself and everything that comes along with that. And that is the fulfillment of Jesus the Messiah. Um, and that's what it means for Jesus to be the anointed one. Um, so as we are going through these next weeks, we're going to see staked out just in, in detail what Matthew's presenting to say even more. He's the one. Uh, the fulfillment of prophecy, um, the king of a kingdom. Um, and so I hope you guys are excited about this because... Oftentimes we say Jesus, but don't really know what we are saying because we don't mean the king of a kingdom, right? Because we don't mean the one who over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in, right? And so as we see all those things, I hope it just gets you guys excited and makes you realize that, that man, you are small, <laughs> but you're part of something really big and it's something that God's doing. So pray with me and then we'll, we'll worship him together. God, I remember that, that old song that says, change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart and may it be like you. God, I found as, as I, I prepared for this and I think even preaching it, that my heart is so small. Um, I don't hope big enough. When I read the Bible, I don't always read it like this, this outlaying of history saying, man, from, from the beginning to end, God has been involved in calling people to worship him and worship him now, especially through Jesus Christ.
God, I pray this is something that, that we not only hear now, but that, that we go through the week just dwelling upon, thinking about, and going, how would I respond to that question Jesus said of who am I? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say I am? And then we really realize what it means to have faith in you, um, the one who will save the world. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for those gathered here. Bless them, God. Keep them. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.